Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1 800 795 9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark. Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings and welcome on board WKOK's live telephone talk show on the mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Uh, Mr. Joe is across from me, mayor of Shemokin Dam, ultra staunch conservative, natural born listener. Papa's his favorite title, he likes to be called. That's not what they always call him around the house, but they all called him wonderful yesterday because <laughs> it was Father's Day. So good morning, sir. Good morning, and you're a father as well. Uh, yes. Do something celebratory for the big day? No, my lovely bride kept gifting me and so on. So that was nice. So, well, my wife permitted me to cook my own dinner yesterday. Oh, <laughs> that was very <laughs> nice of her. <laughs> Kitchen's over there. On the other side of the glass, Rob Center, a fabulous uh, producer, and uh, we always appreciate his help and hard work. And uh, we do have a guest in the studio. I'll introduce him in one split second. On the mark, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Please do check them out at sunburymotors.com. Our toll free line will be open during the 9 a.m. hour. At that time, you'll call 1 800 795 9565. You can email us at on the market at WKOK.com and text us at 70236. Uh, so for the first time in three months, we're glad to say we have a guest in our studio. Josh Van Kirk is here, police chief in Point Township. Uh, how many years uh, in policing in your life? I started in 96. Uh, I'll be wrapping up 20 years here with Point Township pretty soon, actually. This is almost like my exit interview with you here today. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, any words of advice for the supervisor? Advisors as they hire more officers and continue the good department. We always put that in an exit interview. Uh, keep the standards high. Be patient, and uh, you get what you pay for. Oh, well, okay. you have my sympathy working with Monty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have a good board, and they've supported our police department through the years, and that definitely makes a difference in our community. Well, you do have a fabulous police department there, well-staffed, well-trained, and uh, you, you really do a lot of, of... You were doing community policing before it was hip, so I think that that is noteworthy. Well, let's start at the beginning. One of the reasons this is a timely interview is because there's a lot of pushback against police right now. What's your reaction when you hear that? I know you probably yell at the radio and the TV once in a while, but but what are you saying? And what, well, not in those circumstances, but what do you say when you see pushback against policing? There's just such a misunderstanding these days, and and right now, obviously, there's this. Uh, it's kind of always every couple of years there's these popular terms that get thrown out and right now it's defund the police and I think it's really important right off the top to say that police support police accountability but we do reject the notion of some misplaced demand by our society for perfection in these very highly complex fast-paced life-threatening situations that's a tall order for any person, despite any level of training, uh, experience, whatever. At 3 a.m., things happen very quickly, and unfortunately, it sometimes gets ugly. Well, and I think we can watch incidents and we can say, well, if I were there, or if I were this, if this were that, or if he didn't resist, or whatever it happens to be. But uh, is there a review of things that typically happens, and you look at them, and you learn from them, and you know, this is a regular occurrence? 
There is, and I think that's where where our training is really derived from is that through the decades and decades of policing, we're always critiquing our own incidents. We try to engage in best practices. And when an officer is involved in a serious situation, the first order of business is they immediately are put on administrative leave. And that's not a punitive step. It's not suggestive that anything wrong happened. It's because we recognize that they've just been through a very difficult situation. You kind of just want to hit pause and give everyone time to be uh, responsible, do proper and thorough investigations. And that's really a key issue right now because it looks to me like there's a lot of uh, pressure for people to make rapid choices that are changing people's lives and they're, they're succumbing to public pressure, which frankly to me seems like the opposite of justice. When you look at back at your training, uh, when you learned how to be a police officer, and you look at what's coming out of the academies today, do you see a need for change? And if so, where? Because that's what we're hearing a lot of these people saying, that police officers aren't properly trained on how to defuse situations. No, I think uh, there's there are some, definitely some myths um, around de-escalation, and we'll, we'll certainly hope to cover that here. First off, I'm a huge uh, advocate for training. We can never stop training. That's where we learn. It's where we actually fail. You know, you want to fail in training rather than on the street. But if there's one place I say that we need reform right now, it's not by the police. It's by our public. You know, at what point do we start having a discussion about criminal accountability? You know, if somebody chooses a life of crime and drug abuse and they take steps for year, year after year, kind of playing Russian roulette with their life, it leads them on a collision course with a police officer. You know, someone in the public sees somebody acting out, they're gonna call the police, things go south, and then we wanna hang all this baggage all on the shoulders of the police officer, and it's misplaced. How should we examine our police? How should we, like a community may say, okay, well, I want to examine whether we're doing the right thing. And I know, for example, this would happen in a point township because you have budget time every year. So, the you know, your supervisors say we're spending, um, you know, X uh, six-figure amount on policing. Is this money well spent? Is this enough? Is this not enough? Uh, would we be better off with uh, a different kind of police department? How should every community examine their police and the way they police and what they want from him and make sure that it's ideal for their town? Well, I think the some first things they have to ask, in, in addition to what do our police cost, which is relevant, you can't have that many commas and zeros and say, geez, are we spending this money well? But you do also have to ask, what is the cost if you don't have them? Who is going to fill that void? And each community has to to make that decision on their own, you know, participate in their local government, see how they're spending their money, making sure that, um, you know, it it goes uh, to all the right places for training and not, not unnecessary gadgets, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, um, if if you don't want police and your ideas to defund and come up with some other community programs, I think maybe uh, if people would put themselves in the shoes of an officer and look at those situations that they're in and say, could I really do better? Or, or maybe first, would I even want to be in that situation and do that job? You, you can't expect sp- uh, police officers to go out and handle these situations for $10 an hour and think that you're accomplishing anything. You talk about police officers being put in the, or someone being on a collision course with a police officer um, and might wind up harmed 
because of that. But, you know, let's take a look back at, at some of the other things. Uh, you hear a lot of talk about systemic racism in the police department um, and profiling. You know, if you see somebody, you mentioned that someone who chose a life of crime or drugs, you, you have a profile that you apply to these people? I mean, is that fair or unfair? Or if you see somebody totally out of place, is it wrong to stop them and question them about where they are and what they're doing? Well, there's definitely a profile, and I, I think that people are levying this accusation that the police target a specific group, and I'm here to say that we do, and they're called criminals. And I would hate to see the day that police stop building profiles about what criminal behavior looks like. How do we do that? Every community is different. You benchmark behavior. A, an officer on patrol who knows his beat, knows what's normal, and can identify a departure from normal. If we want to wait until a crime happens for, to get our police involved, haven't we failed already? If the crime has already occurred, then there is a victim. So police on patrol have to focus energy on identifying suspicious behavior. And I'm telling you, that's where the challenge is. I don't think anyone in our public argues, hey, if somebody's stabbed, go arrest that person. The real challenge is that gray area of police work. When am I identifying suspicious behavior? How do I engage this person and respect their rights, but also still fulfill my obligation to my community? And there is no special choreography or perfect scenario or policy that you're going to get that right all the time. Uh, and again, if there's a lot of passion out there right now, people who have never done this job, and, and frankly, I've never seen such a profession where everybody knows all the answers despite having never done it. No, it's everything. <laughs> so it's I, everything. We have epidemiologists who call in who don't have their degree. We have constitutional uh, experts who call <laughs> in that have never been to a class. But anyway, continue, please. Well, I, I just think it's really important if, if uh, and maybe it's a like Match.com here, you know, there's such a shortage of police officers in our country right now, and it's so hard to hire anybody. If all these um, folks have all the answers, then boy, please apply. Show us how it's done. Uh, they might be in for a bit of a wake-up call. Well, we hear a lot about driving while black, and that black people are more likely to be stopped by police officers than white people in the same circumstances. Is there a reason for that? Is it just because they look suspicious, or because you have profiled them and believe that they might be out of place in this area and might be doing something wrong or you know is it racial that might be the accusation that that they make but my response is simply that an officer either has probable cause to stop a car or not um, there's two thresholds that we operate on and it's uh, probable cause and that's more when you're stopping a car that a violation of the vehicle code is occurring or you have reasonable grounds that criminal activity is afoot so it is actually the citizens who call the police and give physical descriptions about hey this person in this car in my neighborhood just committed this crime we would be fools to look for any other vehicle or person than that that w that fits the description that was provided to us by witnesses okay so if we're going to uh, let's suppose we wanted uh, to spend a lot, probably spend a lot more money but we wanted to have make sure that our community had an ideal law enforcement policing is going to be part of it. That's what you've described so far. We often hear that we need somebody that's expert at domestic relations available 24-7. We need somebody that might be expert in addiction or drug and alcohol issues 24-7. What could be added to police departments that might make the departments fit some of this, uh, you know, this sort of this idyllic, ideal nature that you described earlier that the community wants? 
Well, I think maybe that's the first thing to identify is idyllic. And is that even an achievable thing versus the reality of that? Um, there's just going to be some failures out there. Frankly, I don't know who is better at dealing with domestic violence issues than police officers. They are the most dangerous thing that we go to. Um, it, it, we frequently encounter that, and if by nothing more than repetition and practice, officers learn to sharpen their interpersonal skills. And these t this term of de-escalation, you know, officers are doing their best to be patient and empathize with people. You try to put yourself in their situation and let them know that you are there to help them. But whether it's a police officer or any other professional who holds some title to go in there and interact with people in these volatile situations, the fact of the matter is, and, and we wouldn't be here if there wouldn't be extreme situations, the fact of the matter is, is most calls and interactions with police officers could be summed up as routine. They're never known by the public. It's the ones that run off the rails that get all the attention. And the fact is, is that there are few, a few people out there who will not listen to reasoning, to rational conversation. They don't care if you tell them that you want to help them and you're, you're just here to help get through the situation. You know, I'm not here to hurt you. How can I help you get through this? They don't hear those words like a lot of us do. So I don't think there is any real idyllic way to handle this other than letting police do the job that they're trained to do and for the public to accept that it will not always be perfect and we move forward. Someone sent me a meme or a video that someone produced on the internet, and it's rather it's uh, it's kind of sad in a way because it involves a guy placing a 911 call, uh, saying that is someone is trying to break into his garage, and the 911 operator is trying to determine what the race of the perpetrators are, whether or not they are armed, uh, what religion they might belong to, <laughs> and because they want to send the appropriate uh, support to get the guy help, and he say he's just screaming, please send help, send help, I don't care about that. But she said, well, but sir, we can't send an armed officer if the perpetrators are unarmed. Is that where we're headed? Well, that's that's <laughs> the whole thing in a nutshell is how complicated can we make this? You know, the, and, and who's going to pay for that? If we're, what is, it's kind of uh, polar opposites here. We want to defund the police. Well, who else are you going to pay for? And who else is going to be sitting in a cruiser car, you know, ready to respond within the three to five minutes that you want someone on your doorstep when you're in your biggest time of need? Are we going to call a therapist out of bed at 3 a.m. and are they going to get to your house quick enough? The job of the police is to get there, get things calm and under control. And after that, there there's certainly after action that's required, getting people into counseling and some long-term care if they have certain emotional needs. You know, our, our emotionally dependent people are mixed right into our population these days, so our officers are dealing with them more than ever but the the primary role to get out there and get the scene safe is the job of the police and i don't know of anyone who can do it better community policing is sort of like social service though isn't it i mean you're you're expected not just to stop the crime or get the criminal you're expected to do all these other side things be understanding compassionate helpful <laughs> that's that is policing policing is a social service and you know if and and if you fail at the first time you deal with our population the, the fact is police officers spend 95% of their time with 5% of the population and any good officer knows that you're going to do your best when you deal with this person because you want to start establishing a line of credibility with them you're going to deal with them again
Well, what what happens down the road if a police officer has a charge levied against him? Brutality, excessive force. Does that vary, does that vary by department, or is there a state standard for reporting such things here in Pennsylvania? Well, there's a federal standard, and some of the cases that we have that go way back with Graham Connor and what we call objective, objective reasonableness, and that is by the peer group of police officers, and it basically says that what would another uh, group of our peers with similar training and experience do in that situation? That was the way that police were always supposed to be kind of judged, for lack of better terms, not by public pressure, and in some cases, unfortunately, there are, um, I'm going to say what I think. There are political hacks who are going after police officers succumbing to public pressure and frankly violating police officers' due process rights that they slow down and take a look and actually see what happened and before they make a decision. All right, one eight hundred. We're going to uh, actually we're going to take a quick break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Josh Van Kirk is here, uh, police chief in Point Township, and uh, just uh, decades of uh, of expertise he's amassed over the year, leading a department and being a police officer. He is a patrolling chief, so he he's not a pencil pusher. Uh, so he clackety clacks on the computer sometimes, but uh, most of the time you'll see him out uh, in his uh, cruiser. Call us one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six fives our telephone number if you have a question about policing uh, we can put that uh, to the chief of police uh, and you can email us at on the market wkok.com or text us at 70236 when it comes to car buying there's the other guy's way and then there's the smc way the other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want the subway motors way lets you take the time you need to browse ask questions and take the test drive and think on it for over 100 years the mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have the other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade no matter how much they say they will the smc way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth the SMC Way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. Uh, Police Chief Josh Van Kirk is here. Uh, Dick, you're on the Mark. Thanks for calling in. Uh, the Chief can hear you now. Hey, Chief. I was wondering how you feel about regionalization of the local areas. For example, East Buffalo and Lewisburg and Washington should take over McEwen. But uh, what do you think about the old, all the townships that really de- depend on the state police and are they getting more of a free ride? regionalization. Yeah, that's uh, funny you bring that up because I remember back when I applied for chief, one of the uh, questions that was posed to me is how I felt about it. I actually started with a very large sheriff's office and um, there are definitely benefits to large police departments. Uh, I I came from down south in Florida where county sheriffs are the premier law enforcement agency. I see a certain efficiency um, and capabilities, um, everything from having 
having special investigative units to even even uh, absorbing, say, an officer injury and still, uh, you know, keeping an officer as a, a productive member of the department instead of kind of putting them out to pasture while they heal. Uh, but I think one of the biggest mistakes is thinking that it's going to be cost saving. Uh, usually, I think till you, you put it all together and fulfill the obligations that you have to all the different municipalities, you're still going to spend a, a similar amount of money. Does that okay, answer the question? You. Yep, it becomes larger, but it costs twice. As, it becomes twice as big, but twice as expensive. Talking about talking about that specialized units that you mentioned, New York had a 600-man anti-crime unit, which the mayor has now disbanded and putting those officers back on other jobs. From what you understand of that type of policing, was that a good decision or a bad decision? Boy, I, d- I don't know enough about the operations of other de- departments to comment why they're making the decisions they are. But I think if you're if you're we, we lose or win based on the boots on the street. It is patrol that makes a department succeed in a community. And if you're not getting applicants and you need people to patrol, then your first uh, step is going to be to take some of the specialized units and put them back on the beat. Well, years ago, Mayor Giuliani got a lot of credit for saying that we're not going to tolerate things like throwing rocks through windows, that if we stop the small crimes, that'll stop the big ones from happening. Do you buy into that? I sure do. Um, I, I, I work on the same principle with our guys and in our internal discipline with the department. If you can't discipline yourselves um, from even the basics of report writing and doing quality investigations on the minor crimes, how could you expect that you have the core discipline um, to do a good job when it counts? And I, I just think it carries through to every part of our life that um, the devil is in the details. And if we pay attention to how we behave on a daily basis and, and build up a good core of discipline in our society, that we do what we're supposed to do, then it, it lends itself to success on the bigger issues. It's maybe, if we're going to have a national conversation about uh, police, maybe one of the biggest mistakes that we're making is we're just saying, okay, here in the U.S. we have police, we want them to be ideal. But Point Township is significantly different than Sunbury Police, which is dif- significantly different than Williamsport, which is significantly different than York, PA. If we're going to have a police conversation, do we have to separate it from this global thing? You know, we see issues that popped up in, in Minneapolis and so on. But we don't have those kinds of dilemmas here. Uh well, yet. You know, we, I remember um, Mark, I was back here a couple years ago. It was actually after Ferguson in 2016, and we talked about the community kind of having their finger on the pulse and making some decisions ahead of time about how would our community respond if one of these tragic incidents happened here. And it's about preparedness because every community is five seconds away from some national headline disaster, and you don't know how your community is going to perform until you've been tested. And and again, that's part of the reason I wanted to come up here today when you when you talked to me was that I really do want to advocate that communities are strong and support their police departments because waiting until uh, you know the feces hits the oscillator, it, it's it's too late. <laughs> What should citizens do then? Get involved, go to the township supervisors, patrol with you once in a while, maybe some towns have a commission? Well, I think right now, maybe most appropriate, and I do, uh, thank God, you know, you see some things on um, different platforms, social media, where people saying they support the police. But one thing that I fail to see is a real public support. You know, social media, I think, is, even though it's kind of a public thing, it's private. And right now, there are leaders across this country who are engaging in major police reform, wanting to cut police departments. And they're hearing from one side of the discussion, which I respect. You know, we have the right to to voice our concerns. But I think at this point, it is insufficient to sit by and, and just chat and say, hey, I support the police. People have got to pick up 
and and call, chat, text, write a letter, however we communicate these days, to their state reps and their congresspersons. And if that's the way they feel, then they need to hear, I support the police. Let them do their job that they're trained to do. I acknowledge that it's not going to be perfect, but I accept that in my community because I want our police to succeed. Well, so many times you guys are called to back each other up in different municipalities, different jurisdictions. Does the training differences in those jurisdictions ever make a difference or cause an impediment to that kind of backup? And should there be a national training standard that all police officers undergo? There really already is national training standards. The ability to communicate these days um, when incidents go wrong, it, it is so fast that you get the feedback and policies and directives are changed. Uh, but when you get into some of the more um, critical tools we use, like firearms, tasers, things of that nat- nature, there are already nationally established programs that year after year we have, you know, con ed, for lack of better terms, and our officers annually, and, and like for us in the case of firearms, we do it quarterly, four times a year we're going through firearms training, and that's not just shot placement. We go through, and my guys probably dread this every time I pull the, like, 30-page packet out, but we go through use of force um, standards, Supreme court standards and we talk about it's it's so when you look at a policy manual in a police department it is so thick and so comprehensive if you don't regularly train on it and revisit those topics you're doing a disservice to yourself and and to your department as a whole because you're going to fall short but should there be a national publication like that that all the police departments have to adhere to so that's something to answer your question um, yes there can be a standard but then we have to acknowledge that there will be some deviation from standard that's required. So years ago, I uh, took um, what's called PLEAC, which is a state accreditation standard for department policy. And that's what I used to redo the policy for our department. Now, I didn't pursue the sticker on the door and the accreditation because my position is, is if we have accredited policy, and more importantly, if we practice that accredited policy, then we're going in the right direction. But you can't have a one-size-fits-all because what works for Metro Dade may not be fully appropriate for Point Township. It is up to our administrative leaders in the police profession to pick uh, the best of these policies and engage in best practices. And when you develop policy for your department, then it goes under review of your solicitors, the other officers, make sure everybody has a clear understanding, and that's where you inch it forward. (laughs) This was a fast half hour. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank Thank you you for your service to Point Township. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, enjoy your retirement. Call us from the Midwest or wherever you are at this time (laughs) next year. My phone might not work. Out and about. Okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Please spend a lot of time in dead zones where there's no cell service. They sure do. Would you do that? Point Township Police Chief Josh Van Kirk on the mark. Open phones coming up this WKOK. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, 
Mark Lawrence, and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. Now is your opportunity to react, question, uh, elaborate on the important topics we covered with Josh Van Kirk, the Point Township Police Chief. So uh, certainly policing's been at the forefront lately, so you can call in now and ask questions or remark about that. Uh, we've also, uh, let's see, over the weekend we saw President Trump had a very successful rally, 20-some thousand people in the hall, and so we can converse about that. 1-800-795-9565. Let's see, COVID-19 probably on the mind of some folks out there, and uh, you can call or email us about those kinds of topics. Joe's worried about the Teddy Roosevelt statue that's going to come down, so we'll talk about that. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. You can email us at onthemarket.com. But the thing that most upsets Joe is the elimination of the Escobo pie. So we're going to talk about that. And Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Butterworth. Still a little irritated (laughs) about that. So those are our topics today. We invite you to call in. We do have some brief news headlines. 33 people at one Sunbury nursing home have tested positive for COVID-19. And 18 of those cases were newly reported as of yesterday. According to their parent company, Manor Care Sunbury had 28 employees and five, or no, check that, 28 patients and five employees to test positive. The company's awaiting test results of more employees. Locally in the four-county area, there were 18 new cases confirmed in the State Department of Health's daily update Sunday. Those include 15 in Northumberland County, 3 in Union County. Snyder and Montour held the same over the weekend. 464 new cases of COVID-19 confirmed in Pennsylvania over the weekend. There is still much we don't know about multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, or MISC, but we know this. It is very rare, especially about here, and the disease itself can be hard to detect. Chairman of Pediatrics at Geisinger, Dr. Frank Maffei, explains that it comes from either a direct or a distant contact with somebody who had COVID-19. So that a child may have had an infection, may not have had what we would call a significant acute illness, but may display illness later on. Dr. Maffei says children contracting the disease would be rare around here, but children are more susceptible if they're in an area where there's more COVID-19. Where it's going to get a lot of press is the degree of infection is highest. So in New York City, certainly the MISC cases were, were notable. I will tell you that in our region, there are very, very few Geisinger said one confirmed case and one other case is under investigation. You can hear his entire interview on the WDKOK podcast page. Very good clearinghouse interview. Well, bad interview, but good answers uh, about how how the disease is contracted, what to look out for, how it's treated, and the implications related to a vaccine. That's going to be uh, critical as the months progress. PennDOT's out with word of a week of delays in Northumberland starting today. They're going to continue the daytime work on Route 147 and Route 11, that's uh, Duke, Waterfront, and King Streets. It's all part of finishing the project they started three years ago. $13 million project now done when they call it the tie-ins, where various alleys and streets tie in to those main streets. That's what they're working on today. There have been delays there. We have a partial schedule of that work at WKOK.com. Motors who travel Route 15, Chestnut Street, and Mifflinburg advised of several weeks of delays starting tomorrow. A water project in Mifflinburg on Route 45 going to lead to those lane restrictions and some uh, slowdowns there. And they're going to have a party. Students will be able to have a live face-to-face 
in-person outdoor prom in the Mount Carmel Area School District. School District administrators announced they're planning the event to be held July 31st with August 1st as the backup date uh, because in case of bad weather, the precise location not yet announced. We'll keep you posted about the Mount Carmel prom. Very important topic. All right, that takes care of the news headlines. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. That's 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarkatkok.com and text us at 70236. So you're not upset about the uh, Museum of Natural History wanting to take down Teddy Roosevelt's statue? And uh, I hate to tell you this. Other than that sentence, I haven't had a chance to bone up on it. What is the reason? I sent you a picture of it. There's okay. On one side of him, he's seated on, seated on horseback. On one side of him is a Native American, and on the other side, an African American. And I guess the feeling is that Teddy shouldn't be on a horse if the other two are walking. I don't know. Somehow they consider it racist and a, a uh, and colonialistic. It, and uh, Roosevelt's record on the topic of race is well, I don't think he certainly wasn't a racist. Okay, you know, so he no, was the first president to invite a black man to dinner at the White House. And in terms of uh, race relations globally, he was a former police satisfactory police, uh, commissioner of New York City. You know, he had a distinguished career. He was a naturalist, uh, and that's why the statue was erected, because he was a naturalist. And I think that's mm-hmm. what, the, sure. what the premise behind it was. But, I mean, it's just one more example. They, they burned, uh, tore down a statue of George Washington, for heaven's sakes. There is no United States of America if there was no George Washington. Slaveholder Washington is, was the yes, justification. Yes, he was. You know, and I, I heard this morning, I know you don't like it when I mention Fox. You always say I have my Fox News funnels on. But Brian Kilmeade, who also it all day if you want he's to. one of the hosts of Fox and Friends, but he's also a historian and an author. And he just points pointed out the hypocrisy of this, that we cannot keep tearing our history down, that we're talking about people who by today's standards are flawed, but they weren't flawed then. And even amidst their flaws today, there is much that commends them to the public they for what the they have picture. done. Right. So, I mean, to tear down the statues because someone's offended by it, well, suppose the shoe were on the other foot, and somewhere I'm sure there's a statue of the great George Washington Carver but I'm offended because I don't like peanuts. So I, should I demand that his statue be taken down? All right, 1-800-795-9565. We're talking policing and uh, policing our statues, pulling them down. It's... Uh it's, this is uh, quite insanity is what quite it is. the discussion underway in the U.S. One eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. Bobby, you are first up. You're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Yes. Um, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, the close proximity of Point Township, Northumberland, uh, as far as police area responding. And, of course, you run into the same situation with Joe at, at Smoking Dam. Smoking Dam, Homeless Wharf, and all that are basically, when I say, on top of each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was going to ask Joe, and that was the, uh, uh, you know, the police calls to come in, and that do the police respond to the other boroughs? If they're called or for backup or if there's no yes. one else available, yes, they do. Do you have a written mutual aid agreement with Seals Grove? Uh, no, I don't think okay. we have a re- But if we back each other up. In other words, if the law of the state is that if the Seals Grove Police Department would call for a backup from a Shemokin Dam officer, that responding to Seals Grove, he would have the same arrest powers and policing powers as the Seals Grove officer has. Or if called to a township by the state police, he would have exactly the same, he or she would have exactly the same powers. So a 
a cursory glance would you could say we have a already have a regional department. Well, that's why I asked yes. about the standards because between departments, like Shemokin Dam's policy might be somewhat different than Sunbury, somewhat different than Northumberland, somewhat different than Josh Van Kirk's department in Point Township. Uh, but they work well together. I mean, they 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 actually do work very well together in instances where they're called to back each other up. All right. Thank you so much, Bobby. Right, yeah, you. yeah. Good observations, uh, Dale. You're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, these police have to go on TV and radio and explain themselves and their, you know, and their uh, our officers. Well, let me tell you something. The media, first of all, picks needles out of the haystack, which most police have calm heads, okay? And most people are good. So they want to, you know, focus on needle in the haystack and amplify it and constantly pound it into the public's head and everyone talks about it okay then the police got to go and explain herself the same ones stirring the pot are the ones the police has to you know explain herself so i think you know basically if you stay away from the media and don't listen to it it won't be amplified okay because i think that most people are good and most cops are good so i think that you know them focusing on the needle in a haystack or just trying to toughen up our police. I don't know. I mean, then when the police goes a little bit overcharged, you know, that's just, it's just going to more make them more aggressive because, you know, humans in nature have different personalities and they shift. A lot of personalities shift. I don't know if they're, you know, under influence or something, but always cooler heads prevail. And I mean, if you have a mall cop going into a ghetto with a gun on the side, I can tell you number right now that mall cop is going to be petrified and going to be ready to pick that gun up. So, like I said, if you don't, you know, it's hard to vet vet everybody, police and people. But I say, if you stay away from the media and don't listen to this garbage, you won't. The police won't have to explain themselves because they're the same ones stirring it up. Right. It don't make sense. Good point. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate the call. Yeah, social media, too. Don't do that. I, I don't think it would go away if you ignored it. Oh. <laughs> well. I mean, that's uh, – I always like Calvin Coolidge. He used to say, if you see ten problems coming down the road at you, pr- chances are that nine of them will run off before they get to you. And I always used to want to add on to that, and the tenth will be so out of control you can't do anything about it. All right. Uh, one of our listeners sends us a note. To do police act by laws – by the whim of a mayor. And in a major city, by whim of the mayor. Okay. In, a, in many instances, because the mayor has absolute control of the police department. I mean, it's written in the borough code that all mayors have control of the police department. But I can't, as a borough mayor, I can't hire or fire the police chief. That's the borough council's responsibility. But in a city, the mayor has control over that. He can fire the police chief and appoint someone else to place uh, into that position. So there's a difference. But in ma- in major cities, I think they do act by whim of the mayor in many instances. Well, yeah, you do see that people strongly disagree with something that a mayor is doing or they're asking their police chief to do, especially now you do see that there was in a big cities. Great TV show on, I think 
for two seasons. It didn't last more than that. It, it had a flawed premise, I think, but it was called Boss. Kelsey Grammer played the mayor of Chicago. And it's worth watching if you want to see how police can be abused by the uh, whims of a mayor. And okay. I think it's available on um, Netflix or Prime or one of those series right now. All right. It's called uh, Boss. Joe, it looks like two separate texts. Okay. Uh, Joe, you're right. That oh, without nope, I'm sorry. It starts at the top and goes down, as you are uh, trying to do anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was doing that. I know. I'm sorry. Joe, you're right that without General George Washington, there would be no United States, and that is exactly the goal of the radical anarchist Antifa lowlifes. They want to usher in a communist America, and erasing our history will make it easier for them. Time for people to wake up to the evils of communism. <laughs> you find that humorous? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. It's like a Fox News uh, main topic diatribe. That's all. <laughs> wow. You're quick to condemn today. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, obviously Antifa's not a factor. If I ask for better policing in my community, does that make me an Antifa communist sympathizer? No. I, I think people have the right to ask for better policing. And I, I think it's ridiculous. You know, Josh has a, a great point here that people are have the opportunity to impact and discuss and control and, and have, uh, uh, let's see, what should we say, an advisory role about their policing. They have to inform themselves on what their police are doing, and and then they can they can you know bone up on the topic and see if they have sound advice for police. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make you Antifa. In fact, uh -huh. there is a tradition in the U.S. where people demonstrate. People have demonstrated for a wide range of things for True, race and for better policing and for uh, you know all kinds of freedom. The women's right to vote. If you want to go back that far. But here's the point. Police departments don't exist on their own. They are created by governmental agencies. Mm -hmm. And those governmental agencies, in almost every instance, I can't think of one where it's not the case, are elected or done by people who have been elected uh, by the citizens of the country. That's the whole idea of representative government. I can't personally run the police department. So I elect a mayor and I elect a borough council or a city council, and they run the police right. department. We they rely decide on that. You to but do the they right are thing. representatives of us, the citizens. So if mm -hmm. there's a failure there, why don't we hold the mayor and the council responsible? Why are we holding the police responsible? Well, this is like everything else. If you live in a community, you get the policing you deserve. No, you, I guess that you get the policing the municipality is willing to pay for. Well, okay, or, or whether it's state police. Okay, so yeah, that's part of it. You get what you deserve. You p you pay as much as you wish to about uh, for policing. You uh, elect the community leaders that you think will help uh, fund the police department adequately. You elect a mayor that you hope will help run the police department. You don't get an opportunity to participate in uh, hiring the specific officers. But I just oh, but you I do. Just, there is a civil service commission right, that's, that's fine. That's that fine. is created Listen, by the that's municipality. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about taking a test to be. An officer. Let's get back to Stan's remark. This idea that if you question your police department, you're an Antifa communist. I really do reject that because I think in all of these, every, almost every single one of these communities, they're asking perfectly valid questions. Now, if I yell defund the police, if that That's means a perfectly valid question. Well, I think it's a—it's not a question; it's a statement. First of all, but secondly, or I think it's a ideal question to say: Is the dollar I'm spending for policing being used in a manner that truly helps our community? 
I think communities get the policing they deserve. And if you don't participate, you don't want to talk about it. Or even if you do speak up, that doesn't make you Antifa. You know, this whole idea that you can never question Joe McCranahan, mayor of Shamoka <laughs> Nami's policing, it's oh, ridiculous. I get questioned all the time, but here's the problem. Much, listen, this has been happening lately. How much time have you spent in the past two weeks listening or reading observations that relate to policing. Quite a bit. Exactly. What is so pathetic about that, that if somebody speaks to you and you listen, oh, well, they have to be Antifa. No, but that's not that's not the real issue. The real issue here is that the overwhelming majority of police officers are well-trained, dedicated professionals who want to serve the community and who want to do what's right. You know, the occasional chauvin is, a, is an anomaly. It's not the way the police are. And to say we're going to, you know, under the premise of Black Lives Matter, we're going to tear down police departments, we're going to stop funding them, because one bad cop shot one black person. Admittedly, not, it's not an isolated incident. They've, they've happened before. But there have also been incidents where black cops have shot white people, and I don't see us taking to the streets over that. Uh, as Josh pointed out off mic, there was an incident also in Minneapolis where an Islamic officer shot a lady from Australia, killed her. Wasn't that, was, wasn't that what he was talking about? Right. He just talked uh, about that. Yeah, it was Were there demonstrations then to call the police? And it's like all these protests, you know, all this stuff, if it was so bad for so long, why does it take the death of George Floyd to bring it out? Why weren't these people taking to the streets beforehand? I just think there's a tendency when you have a bad situation like this to overreact. And I think what Josh said is correct. You take a deep breath and you sit back and you reflect on what really needs to be done. If training is the issue, then we get better training. If the police departments are corrupt organizations, we get rid of the police departments. But I don't think that's a case you can make at all. Yeah, I don't think we're overreacting. I think we underreacted in the past, and and that's on us as as citizens. If if we had uh, systemic issues in our police department, why wait till George Floyd's dead to bring it up? But who are you blaming them on? Are you going to blame them on the police, or are you going to blame them on the people who create and run the police departments? I think everybody in every community is going to have to look at whatever assets and, and great uh, solutions their police department brings to their town, congratulate their officers, thank them for that. They're going to have to say also, is there anything that we can do even better? Is there any room for improvement? I bet uh, Josh is gone, but I've, uh, you know, he ran a pretty tight ship over there and still does. I bet if I said, is there any room for improvement? He'll tell you that, you know, there's, well, there's always, or ro- always room okay. for improvement. Well, Nobody's what is argue so that. terrible about citizens who, who granted, like you said, should have done so in the past, finally stepping up. I think, you know, and I, saying I, here's some improvements. Josh is a very thorough guy, and he wrote down some some interest, interesting things here that he wanted to get to. Uh, and I, I think one of them touches on what you're saying. He says, people are full of hate towards the police and demand change. Everyone seems to have answers to how to fix the police, despite never having done the job. My challenge to them is to polish their boots and go toe-to-toe with someone who wants to kill them at 3 a.m. in the morning and show us how it's done. So that's the point. These are the people who are saying, instead of saying that I demand accountability for my elected officials who created this police department mm-hmm. to make sure that it's serving in the community interest, no, they want to bypass that. They don't want to go after the nice Democratic mayors of the big cities. They want to go after the police. Let's take a look at who really caused the problem. If there is a problem with policing, it's the people who administer and run the police departments, failing to identify their deficiencies and failing to correct them. All right, why 
1-800-795-9565. Great conclusion, great remark. Josh, thanks for leaving your notes here. Uh, we have two texts. We have one email and one caller. We'll take more of the above. 1-800-795-9565 is the open line. Is there anything we can do to improve policing? Everybody seems to agree yes. Should we have started doing it sooner? Yes. Should we have waited till somebody else died? Absolutely. But is there is there any improvements we can make to policing, or do we get the, the police we deserve today, right now, and that's all we can hope for? 1-800-795-9565. Email us at onthemark at wkok.com. Text us at 70236. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, welcome back. 1-800-795-9565. Dan didn't mind waiting. I know that to be true because he tells me that every time he has to wait. So good morning, sir. You're on the mark. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, what we're seeing going on in our beautiful country is destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. And it's systematic destruction. You know, I never thought I'd live to see the day and I can't believe it that George Washington was controversial the father of our great country and I cannot believe the destruction we're seeing with destroying all the all these uh, statues in itself it don't matter who it is they're willing to destroy it and destroy our beautiful history of our country and and it's just unbelievable i'm flabbergasted with this terrible destruction and it goes all over and they're creating uh us one side of america's against the other the left, the extreme left, is bound determined to destroy our representative republic system. They, I, I can't figure out why they hate it so bad, and why is 90% of the news organization hell-bent on destructing our system? The system that gives them the right to express what they believe and propagate whatever they want to, why are they so willing to dis- 
destroy what we have. And out even out here, there's people that fall for the line that, hey, this is a great thing, tearing down all the institutions. Hey, we, you know, there's people even out here in our, you know, fairly conservative area that think this is a great thing, you know. And, and I, I concur with the, I don't know who it was that wrote, wrote the email that said, this is commun trying to set up a communist system. I fully believe that, that we're living in the day I never thought I'd see, that destruction of America is coming from within. When I first moved here to New Berlin, that what my main concern was was the, the destruction of America from Russia. With Russia was in the domino effect of taking over every little country over around their area. And I told a gentleman here in town, an older gentleman, I said, you know the Russians are going to take over America. I'm worried about the Russians. He said, no. He said, Dan, he said, what's going to happen? He said, America will be destroyed as we know it. The free enterprise, representative republic, free commerce system will be destroyed. That, it will be destroyed like the old Roman Empire. It'll be destroyed from within. And you know that gentleman, I look back on what he said and what he said, if he was here today, he could say to Dan, me, he'd say, I told you so, I told you so. And that's what we're seeing. Well, I think it, it will, something bad will happen if we don't stop trying to eliminate our history and to change it and judge people in the past by today's standards. It's ridiculous. I mean, we're going so far down now that we're changing the name of Eskimo Pies. I mean, I can't, I can't believe that. I mean, I looked at the grocery store. I don't know what they're calling them now. It's some stupid name they're going to call them because someone is offended because it had something to do with perhaps Aleut uh, natives. And, uh, Inuit. Inuit, I'm sorry. Aleuts are somewhere else. Inuit, uh, it's just insane. Aunt Jemima, even her grandson or her great-nephew is upset that they're changing it. They promoted Uncle Ben from, to chairman of the board a few years ago. Apparently that's not enough. You know, these things may have had some kind of a racist stereotype, but they are a perfect example of what has evolved with time. Aunt Jemima today looks entirely different than Aunt Jemima 50 years ago. And it, it just is insane not to let us just modify and go along, add context to things if they need it, but don't erase them, don't tear down the statues. It's just insane. Exactly. And, you know, I think most thinking people do that. We, we know the problem. We, we grew up with racism. You know, every, you know, not as much here in the North. There was some, I know there, were, there was racism up here in the 50s and et cetera. We didn't see a lot in our little area, but we knew it was there and the South had more of it. But them days, 
are basically over. Yeah, there's individuals out here. I ran into... Okay. Dan, we got to move on. We've yeah. had six minutes, yeah, Dan. we got to move. have a great one. Great program. Thank you. Great hearing that police chief. What a guy. All right. Okay, thanks, thank Dan. You, yeah, thank yeah. you so much. We have much. a couple of texts to get to. One says, really, Mark, communism is funny. Listen to the goals of Antifa and BLM. They're all Marxists trying to usher in communism. Okay. Gotcha. And then, good no morning. Uh, and this one I agree with from Bob. He said, good morning. American history has been torn down for years, starting in schools, taking away the Pledge of Allegiance and prayer. Right. Uh, both of those things, I think, have contributed to it. And then, um, and Another writer says, Dan, Trump is selling the USA out to Putin. Russia, Russia, Russia. Why don't we teach history in school anymore? Well, we teach civics now. I don't know why we don't teach history, and I think it's a big mistake. Maybe Look at the interest it spurred in you. I mean, imagine if you nobody ever said to you, hey, you know, this what happened in the past is really fascinating. Let's learn more about it. And now look at you. You're a history but, but buff. But you learn, you learn from it. You learn what's good. You learn what's bad. I mean, I, if you came to my house, you would see I have a fairly extensive library of history books, 99% of which I have actually read. And they all they all offer some perspective. They they will be balanced a little bit. They will talk about, for example, I finished a book not too long ago, and they're talking about changing the name of Fort Bragg. The book was called Braxton Bragg, the most hated man of the Confederacy. It was a balanced portrait of his life. It explained why he made mistakes, why he was hated, how he kept his job, largely because President Jefferson Davis liked him. Should we have named a base after him? Looking back on it, I mean, he wasn't a great American hero, although mm-hmm. he did serve with honor the American in the United. States Army prior to the Civil War. So should we have named a place after him? Well, maybe we could have found somebody better, but what's the harm in it? He did some good beforehand. You know, it just... Jefferson Davis, on the other hand, I can understand people wanting to take his down because he actually led the insurrection. All right, 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. We'll take all comers if you have an opinion about these important topics, talking about policing, protests, Antifa, communism, Marxism, and uh, and one other ism, uh, according to Stan. So we got to watch out for those. And deconstructing American icons of marketing. Taken down. So, yeah, you're back to the Eskimo <laughs> pies. All right, 1-800. Remember, the corporations that are doing this aren't ecumenical, so democratic. Is, no, listen, they're not ecumenical, democratic, uh, faith-based organizations. They're money makers. Let me ask if you, they're changing the name, it's because they can make what more money. What do you money. like to put on your pancakes? What do you put on your pancakes? Syrup. What? No, we Who's have Mrs. Butterworth. Well, right, well, I use Aunt Jemima, <laughs> okay. and I don't know what she's going to be called going forward, but I've I've never thought of that, poured that on my pancakes and thought, boy, this is a racist organization here. My only interest in Mrs. Butterworth is does the jar have enough, or does the bottle have enough in it for and the next there's another uh, product on the market, Stubbs Barbecue Sauce. And Stubbs is a black man. Oh. Uh, but he is, you know, we're going to tell him he has to change his name because it's demeaning to think that he's a, a cook. And that's what he says right on his label. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a cook. And he makes the best barbecue sauce. All right, 1-800-795-9565. We have open phones right now. Give us a call. A lot happened over the weekend. A lot of statues got toppled. America had another growth spurt over the weekend. We're going to do better in the long run. 
and uh, Eskimo Pies got their name change made official. So, all right, 1-800-795-9565. What's your view of that? We have one good email. We're going to read that, and one bad email. We're going to read that. Coming up, uh, the Sunbury Motor Company is our sponsor. Please visit sunburymotors.com to see their entire Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, and pre-owned inventory. Select your perfect vehicle and select online right from your home. The Sunbury Motor Company is a family-owned dealership since 1915 4th Street, Sunbury, and Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. Find out lots more about them at sunburymotors.com. We invite you to visit the Quick Lane on North 4th Street in Sunbury. I've done it probably about two, three times a year. They specialize in all types of service on vehicles, state inspections, and they'll pump you up with nitrogen. They'll align you. They'll give you some body work, and they'll make sure that your vehicle's in tip-top shape um, when you leave the Quick Lane on North 4th Street in Sunbury. Uh, Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday, 6.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. The pandemic changed to nothing. They're still down there super serving people. You can find the Sunbury Motor Company on the web at sunburymotors.com. You can build a Ford car or truck or Hyundai or Kia or Lincoln to your precise specifications or check out the hundreds of vehicles they got there that are literally in perfect condition at the Sunbury Motor Company. sunburymotors.com when it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. 1-800-795-9565 is the open phone. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com or text us at 70236. We would just love to hear from you. 1-800-795-9565. Email us at onthemark at wkok.com. All right, one of our emailers says, Isn't it amazing when we listen to the news to get the latest goings-on in the world and we only get a pack of made-up garbage for the most part? What a shame we bother because most of it is fake news. Shameful. I was watching Good Morning America this morning only to hear that President Trump's rally in Oklahoma was poorly attended. Did they say the crowd probably was reacting to the threat of violence from the disruptors who were reportedly on their way to cause havoc? That's Heck no. They never mentioned that, but they rel- relished in showing the the venue hall and how many empty seats were there. Personally, I too would have thought it was not safe to go. Not only were there disruptors, a threat, uh, but the virus is another big item to consider. When President Trump points out the fake news, I thoroughly believe that. News should be free of slants one way or the other. Well, actually, apparently a group of people from TikTok, the app... So three reasons the, the, the thing wasn't sold out. First of all, TikTok. Explain that. Apparently, the uh, this through the, the use of this, it's a, apparently a video service, mostly used by young people, but they encouraged young people and a Korean pop 
website or Facebook page, encouraged people to register for tickets they had no intention of using, just so that there would be a okay. large number of empty seats in the hall. And they're right. apparently so taking credit for that. you reserve a seat and then don't show. Right. People are wisely nervous about the coronavirus and a big crowd like that. I think so there are some people, but, you know, most of them who were there were sitting side by side, and most of them without masks. And, you know, and of course they're going to say, oh, there'll be a huge spike. They're all, Oklahoma City's already spiking. It's terrible. But they don't have that same concern when people are getting together out in the street and having, um, you know, demonstrations. And ironically, the governor's participation cost his administration a victory or a, from getting to victory in their bid to shut down the Carlisle Auto Show. You think that cost him Because that. the state exactly. Supreme Court asked, well, why is it wrong for them to get together on a 100-acre lot, which apparently is how big that is, and cutting the number people down to 50,000 over 100 acres, and the governor could walk shoulder to shoulder with protesters. Chris, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I think there's a lot of overreaction going on and a lot of slurring of Antifa. That's totally unjustified. Oh, it's a bunch of communist Marxists taking over the U.S. The country's yeah, gone as we so. know it. You That's know it, too, Chris. an anti-fascist, anti-racist uh, group. You mean like the Boston Tea Party? Weren't they anti-fascist? No. <laughs> the Brit Royal Crown, they may have been anti-monarchist, the but they weren't anti-fascist. Did. did they break the law? They were anti-royalists. They hasn't, weren't anti-fascists. Yeah. Hasn't the U.S. fought in wars against fascists? Certainly. Okay, so and what's so wrong really with being anti-fascist? Well, the implication is what's wrong, that there's so something the fascist about our country. What the implication? That there that there's something fascist about our country and there isn't. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> He's got the fox funnels squeezed in tight there. So Chris. you believe America's yeah. a fascist country. Brother, you need some help. <laughs> well, I think you need some help and understand what they're saying, but that's okay. Uh there there is there's there's some uh, overreaction on the demonstrators part on which statues are being chosen, I think. But you know that'll work out in time. The uh, they were put up a lot of them as a direct ploy to change history and make the Confederate uh, noble the lost was, the lost a, cause that was, that was done for a uh, hundred years. You're talking about People the lost. Trying to reestablish the the credentials of the Confederacy. You're talking about the and lost cause. The lost cause, yes, and glorifying it. Mm -hmm. And uh, textbooks, you know, Texas textbooks got Texas got a lot of control over textbooks with uh, because all the states, the all, Texas all uses the same textbooks, and therefore, if you get the Texas contract, it gets you a lot of money, and they then other states around use them. In Connecticut, in the 70s, there was textbooks that were saying uh, that slaves were treated like family. I mean, that was really rewriting history. And now we're, we're going, we're, we're trying to correct some of that stuff that's, that's been filtered into our consciousness the last hundred years. And I see nothing wrong with it. And how do we do that, Chris? Do we do it by tearing down statues or changing the history books to reflect what's actually happened and teach it? I think it? some statues should be removed, yes. And if a business wants to remove Eskimo from its name, that's not a bad thing at all. And why is it a good thing? 
And you should really use maple syrup on your pancakes instead of Aunt Jemima. Well, that's that's maple syrup. <laughs> no, it isn't. No, it's Maybe past not artificial. Pure maple. No, there's no maple in it at all whatsoever. None at all. Well, no. So you're saying Aunt Jemima's a fake? It's just sugar. <laughs> Okay, we're taking Chris's time. Go ahead, Chris. Chris, what do you know about Eskimo pie? We boned up on that a little bit. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, Eskimo isn't the desired word these days, but okay. I, I certainly haven't seen any major campaign to eliminate it, but apparently the company has or has taken uh, early action to avoid it. I'm not sure which, really. Okay. So how about you Teddy Roosevelt's statue? How about I don't know anything about it. I know Eskimo isn't what Eskimos like to be called these days. How about Teddy Roosevelt's statue? Where do you stand on that? Well, I like Teddy Roosevelt, but, you know, he was he was a colonialist in a lot of ways. Well, no argument there. And, and I don't know too much about that statue either, but, uh, you know, t- time will tell. So, I don't see any... any uh, People taking it down isn't isn't totally upsetting to me. So is colonialism always a bad thing, Chris? In a more organized and uh, democratic way. Chris, is is being a colonialist a bad thing? uh, uh, There was a lot of evil in colonialism. A lot of good, too. Look what the English did to India. Look what we've done to uh, some of the. The Dominican Republic and Haiti. Uh, yeah, there's and and the South, a lot of South American countries. The, the businesses of America truly exploited them. Yes, but we've also, as colonial powers, we have these people have not chosen to leave us. Puerto Rico uh, hasn't exactly asked to be thrown out. There's a movement still to make them a state. Yeah, they're about a third, a third, and a third for the three options. Right. So look at and the they Philippines have been for a long time. Look at the Philippines, and then you want to hold Teddy Roosevelt responsible for something. Well, the uh, Philippines is the Philippines has has serious problems and is uh, has been run by dictators for a long time. But not when we were running them. Um, uh, I'd have to brush up on my history <laughs> to be sure of that one. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Chris. We got two other calls pending, so we got to move along. Thank, Thank you so much. Have a good day. Take care, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Dale, you're on the mark. You get 60 seconds of extreme fame. Yep, I just want to say, you know, the big bankers are rounding up the herd, and the script's already been written. Here's how it is. You just put an unstable president in office, use the media for psychological warfare, then you elect Biden, and then you take the guns. That's the script. It's easy, plain and simple. It's the way it is. Once Biden gets elected, all crap's going to break loose, and that's when they're going to get the guns, and the bank owners are going to have the herd rounded up. I mean, that's simple. I mean, it's so simple. All we need is love and acceptance. Your opinions doesn't hurt anybody. You shouldn't be pushing it on everybody. That's all you need to know. But the, the, the script is written, and it seems like it's going that way. I think the, uh, when the media's mouthpiece gets silent, that's when we have come. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well said. Well said. 
The script yeah. is written. Yep, no argument it's there. It's a world of cheese. Well, that was uh, noteworthy. Oh, Van, hold on a second. Stand by. We'll be right back. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. Eric Clapton, great bumper music. Rob Center's on his game today, as always. He's fabulous. Uh, Van has been, was waiting, then not waiting, and waiting again, and now he's on the mark. Good morning, Van. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm good. And Joe's perfect. It's a beautiful day out there. Uh, i got a question. If they're doing away with all these names for these products, when are they going to get around to Cracker Jack? <laughs> What's wrong with them? What, what, how are they? Uh, Jack, how are they? That's, that's, a, that's the most racist name in any product I can think of. Jack you got is, a white guy on the on the, the guy, white guy with a dog on the on the package. You know, we got to get rid of the the white guy. We, get, we keep the dog. You know, we'll just call the dog Jack, I guess, and get rid of Cracker. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Cracker Jack. Yes, okay. and uh, Cracker's a derogatory name for, for a white people. White person. Okay, right. They call us Crackers, so we oh, yeah. daresn't use yeah. der- Cracker on the show. Okay. Well, we can use it, but black people can't call us that. Just oh. like we, they can call use the N word, but we can't. So that's yeah. how it works. No oh, boy, <laughs> we're in trouble yeah. now. That's it's political amazing. correct. Political correctness. <laughs> all right, go ahead, man. <laughs> Thank you for thinking of it. Yeah, nobody ever thought about that. I wonder if there are other racist products out oh there we gosh. haven't thought of. Well, yeah, Snickers. That means people are laughing at you behind your back. We baby Ruth. That. That's an insult to babies. All right. Um, yeah, because it's a coconut, which means all babies are nuts. <laughs> so what's a baby Ruth has an almond in it, or is that coconut? No, oh, that was before Grover Cleveland. Oh, yeah, child. Almond Joy has the... Uh, almond Joys have yeah. nuts, Peter Mounds don't. Okay. Remember the commercial? Yes, now, and that, then, now that you recite it. <laughs> all right, we have a great email related to Seals Grove School District. We're going to have to read that tomorrow, far longer than any email we've ever received. So um, we'll, we will try to sift through it. Great topic related to Seals Grove School District and the growth spurt that's underway there. So, yes. Well, I think that, you know, going back to our original discussion today with the statues, I think that we need to put them in context if there's something we need to explain about them. And that, that's been done in some cases. Instead of taking them down, they put up a, a thing saying, yes, while George Washington was the father of his country, he owned slaves, and many people consider that mm-hmm. inappropriate and a subject for... Well, uh, if you go to Mount Verdon, there are people portraying slaves there. And they have slave quarters in many in many uh, historical sites where they show what they were like. Jefferson's slaves were where? 
But, you know, there was another part to that, too. Uh, there was a, uh, the historic Fairfield Inn in Fairfield, Pennsylvania, uh, went there for dinner once, and they show you the room where they hid slaves on the, uh, uh, what they call that, the Underground. Underground Railroad. You know, so there were a lot of positive things, too, you know, to try and bury history and take it out of context and say something's all bad, therefore it needs to be removed. You know, that's not always the case. I mean, it's, history is a lot more nuanced than we like to believe. It's not all white and black. There's a lot of gray in there. And we should take the time before we start tearing things down in a gut reaction to looking at the historical context and try to decide what would make this acceptable to most people. Best and worst of Roosevelt. Though the best of Teddy Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Panama Canal. Worst of Teddy Roosevelt, Panama Canal. <laughs> okay, not giving it back in a timely fashion. Well, no, and then fomenting the revolt that led Panama to become an independent okay. country. But you could say that was a good thing because Panama gained its independence. And now look And at it was a colonial possession of another country. So now look at it. We gave the canal back to them. So what, what was the end result? It all worked out well for everybody. Started the national park system at a pivotal moment in our history. Well, and he was a great conservationist and a naturalist. He was a sickly kid who overcame that. He was a police commissioner of New York, president of the United States, and vice president of the United States. And was in the U.S. military. You're listening to On the Mark on News Radio 1070, WKOK Sunbury. We'll be back with open phones for 90 minutes. This is WKOK Sunbury.